Hello everyone, and welcome back to 404. In this episode, we're taking a step away from the political sphere to sit down with the award-winning composer Gareth Coker. Gareth is best known for his work on Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps, but is also one of three composers involved with the upcoming soundtrack for Halo Infinite. This is my longest interview to date, so when I say sit back and relax this time, I really mean it. If you have any questions relating to this episode, or would like to recommend someone for the podcast, you can email us at johnson.business.yt at gmail.com. That's johnson.business.yt at gmail.com. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Perfect. Gareth, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Uh, I understand that not only you're extremely busy with music at the moment uh, and, on this, and of course, onto stuff that we're going to get into later, but I also understand from listening to interviews that you're a very big Assassin's Creed fan. So I've probably taken you away from the latest installment of Valhalla as well, have I? If, if I had more time to be playing it, then, then yes, but I have started it. Um, I, I'm out of Norway uh, and I'm, I'm in England. But then I saw the size of the England map. I'm like, there's, I just need, I'm going to need like a week off during Christmas to, to play this properly because um, it, it's so big. Um, but actually, I'm really enjoying it so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's actually, because um, I actually haven't fully played it yet because I'm waiting until I get my Xbox Series X before I go near it, which are obviously right. in very high demand at the moment. Uh, but no, I was listening to this because what I do usually before uh, getting into games is I listen to the score beforehand, just get an idea of it. And I always like kind of making up ideas in my head of what the score is trying to portray. Yeah. And then I get to it later. I'm like, oh, that's what that means. Or this is what this is doing. But uh, a fantastic score. Um, I think, I believe it's by the same composer who did the score for the Call of Duty Modern Warfare as well, which is another personal favorite of mine uh, yep. recently. Um, but anyway, sorry. She also, uh, she also did Assassin's Creed Origins as well. Uh, oh, and she worked on And she worked on Unity, I think, um, a little bit. So she's been part of the franchise for a while. But she, she worked in conjunction with Jesper Kidd. Mm-hmm. Um, who did Assassin's Creed 2 and 1, um, who created the franchise, uh, franchise's like, musical identity. Um, and they worked with the um, uh, with Einar Selvig, the, the singer. Um, I think he's from Iceland. It's either Iceland or Denmark, uh, mm-hmm. one of the two. Um, and uh, yeah, so the kind of the three of them combined. I think it's something like crazy, like six hours of music in the game or something. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. So, uh, But yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good score. Yeah, but they've obviously then got that very good uh, continuity between the games as well if they're obviously working together so much. So like obviously that's going to benefit them in the long run even with even if they're changing so many settings you still have that sort of distinctive Assassin's Creed feel I'd imagine as well. Yeah. Um I want to first of all begin and I'm not sure if this is the first interview you've done since getting the news uh but congratulations on being nominated for uh game score of the year for Ori uh, and the Will of the Wisps. Uh, thank you. Yes, um, that was uh, yeah, that was pretty cool um, to to get nominated. Um, got nominated in 20, uh, 2015 for Ori One, mm-hmm. um, but this year has been um, this year has been so insane for for video games. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's still more to come. Uh, you know, with Cyberpunk being around the corner. Um, so yeah, to be nominated alongside um, four other ridiculously amazing soundtracks um and they're all different like mm. I, I mean if you're on the jury how like how do you <laughs> how do you pick because they all do different things uh they're all in different genres um they um uh and they're all they all handle music implementation differently so it's like you know it's going to come down to taste 
because uh, if I was on jury, I could easily make a case for any one of those scores um, to be, you know, to be the winner. So I'm glad I'm not. Um, so I'm just going to enjoy the enjoy the night. And like, seriously, it's it's one of those that like, you know, whoever wins, you know, I, you know, it's a round of applause because like everyone on that uh, on that uh, nomination list, definitely, you know, you could make a case for them deserving it. Um, and then, you know, there's a bunch of scores that, you know, didn't get mm-hmm. nominated as well. Uh, th- this year has been, in my opinion, uh, the strongest year for gaming since I entered the industry and maybe maybe ever. Um, so uh, that's just my opinion. I think it's been a crazy, crazy good year. Yeah, the one positive to the year, I might add. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, there's some fantastic scores in there because even myself, I'm a huge fan of your work with uh, specifically for Ori. I think that's how I first got introduced to your work, and then I went back down through the pipeline, listening to everything from the Mean Greens to In Momentum and whatnot. Oh my goodness, you you <laughs> really went into the into the archives. Yeah, which I was surprised. Uh, I, I don't know, In Momentum doesn't seem to be on your website, but when you look it up on Spotify, it's under your name, so. Uh, yeah, I, I it might have just fallen off because it's, it's the oldest release. Um, but yeah, it's on my band camp, I think. Yeah. We, we'll so, mask yeah. it as my brilliant research skills, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. But some brilliant, brilliant scores, as you mentioned, like uh, particularly, uh, obviously, Mick Gordon has already won uh, game soundtracks of the year with doom 2016 doom eternal i think amplifies that even more like so but as you mentioned such different soundtracks because obviously uh, nothing in comparison to uh, to ori in regards to you know first listening to it on the year like in the same with the last of us as well as a brilliant soundtrack is there any i know you mentioned that you that you think they're all brilliant soundtracks but is there any soundtrack in particular that you're very impressed with uh, besides obviously your own work um i think you know what so when it comes to like looking um looking at how you know what other soundtracks are doing the bare minimum for me is that the music is good like mm-hmm. you know i'd like that should be that should be automatic you know obviously what what does good mean but like mm-hmm. uh you know it should be well produced it should be well composed you know all of all of that stuff well orchestrated if you're using orchestra uh, well arranged if you're doing the guitar that hybrid guitar metal electronic sound that only Mick Gordon can do. Um, so, so the next stage for me is like, how does it make you feel when you play? Cause I don't think it's good enough. I just don't think it's good enough to have a game soundtrack that has great music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that's, that's what I, that's what I look for when I'm playing a game. Uh, how does it make me feel while I'm playing? Um, and I think the number of soundtracks that do that is is far lower. Like there's a lot of games with, that came out this year that had fantastically produced soundtracks, but when you play them during the game, there's a slight disconnect. Um, like during, uh, you know, when you're when you're playing through, you're like, this is fantastic music, but should it be playing here? Or yeah. why is it playing here? Um, and in terms of implementation, you know, let's just take Doom for an example. Like it, it always matches the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and it changes very quickly because um, it's. I don't know the system. But it sounds like they're putting together lots of very short chunks and mm-hmm. kind of arranging it in real time. Um, and uh, yeah, with Ori, we change the music in real time, but not in big chunks. Like mm-hmm. it's just the 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 points where we change the music are very very strictly defined by certain actions that you complete you know it, it can be something as simple as Ori pulling a lever and a door opens somewhere and that's a that's a place to change the music cube the point is, is the transitions are invisible or they're covered up by a visual on screen 
Um, have you played Will of the Wisps? I actually, I'm only halfway through it now, and I have to say that's my. Uh... It's the sure, worst part it's, so I mean, far. It's a big, it's a big I am at the um, the spider part at the moment, which I think I've gone in a bit too prematurely to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one to start off with. Okay. But um, if you remember, you, so you're probably past the water mill, right? Do you remember mm. there was a room which rotated ninety degrees? Each yeah, time? yeah. Right. So that every time you might you might not have even noticed it because it's very subtle, but it, it like it's um it's a small thing. So each time you pull the lever. The same arrangement of that piece of music that plays in that room plays, but at a slightly quicker tempo and at a slightly higher pitch. And it's just a simple way of like amping up the tension in a very in a very subtle way as well. Um, to you know to because it does get a little bit more difficult in terms of the platforming each time. And some people fly through that room and they won't actually hear like all of the music that I wrote mm -hmm. for that for that room because the platformings may be easy for them. Uh, but some people will spend a long time in there because they don't see the route or the path or they don't execute it properly. But yeah, that's just like e each time the musical transition is invisible um, because when you pull the lever, you zoom out a little bit and then you get the mass of sound effects mm -hmm. and like that hides the musical transition. So it doesn't feel uh, so it doesn't feel gimmicky because there's one thing my, my pet peeve in games, and it's especially hard in open world games, is when you can hear the musical transitions or they just fade out the music. Mm. Um, and in Ori, that's almost impossible because there's music the whole time. That's part of the DNA of the of the game. Um, you know, if, if you compare with Doom, like when the battle ends, like we generally cut to an ambient track or we cut to nothing. Yeah. But there's like a, there's always a clear ending when you kill the last monster. Um, but in Ori, the game is so free flowing. There's no, there's no start or end mm. to anything. The whole game is about flow, um, and so to like get find all of these implementation points. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours playing the game. Like, where can I change the music that it makes sense, but also we pay the music enough to make it memorable for the player? Because if you don't, if you don't hear a loop for long enough, you don't get into it, and it doesn't bring you mm. in. But like. If you make the loops too short, it becomes repetitive. If you make it too long, the player doesn't have a chance to get it in their head. So if you, if you look at most of the loops in Ori, they're between three minutes and five minutes. Because yeah. uh, that's the length, like three and a half minutes is the length of a, a good pop song. Um, and that's generally how I structure most of my gameplay tracks are structured in song form. They do have a verse, they have a chorus, not in the traditional sense with lyrics, they're just structured that way. Yeah. Um, and that format lends itself well to being repeated. The Doom doesn't have that problem of like, you know, how to deal with repetition because it's like, it's all being composed in real time. But, um, you know, the, the Doom score, I think, it's say, I think it's fair to say it doesn't handle melody and riffs in the same way um, as Ori does, because Ori's melodies are long. Like they are, um, you know, they're a good like 30 to 40 second statement. I don't think, I think you would struggle to find a 30 to 40 second statement of anything in Doom because a lot of the riffs are so short and the gameplay is so fast and that's fine. Um, the point I'm basically taking a long time to make is that Doom's score is perfect for that kind of game. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm biased, obviously. I think Ori's <laughs> score is perfect for the kind of game it is. And um, I think I think always a good sign of a game, uh, an effective game soundtrack is that you can't replace it with anything else. Because mm -hmm. you can't replace the, and doubly so for um, uh, for, for Doom, because you, you, you can't find anyone to like do that sound. It's like, that's not a sound that grows on a tree. 
Um, and it's funny because people like say, or, oh, or is just another orchestral soundtrack. No, it isn't. Like, I'm going to be honest, try and find something that sounds exactly the same. No, because it isn't just an orchestral soundtrack. There's a lot of synthetic elements going on. Uh, there's a lot of instruments from all around the world. And, and that's all combined together with how I write for the orchestra and then all of the musical effects that I put on top of that. Because if you compare the, the, the orchestral sound of Ori to a concert hall orchestra, <laughs> they sound completely different. Like if you just took a, because there's actually concert hall recordings of Ori. And if you compare like the same music to what it is on this concert hall and to what is it in the soundtrack, they're completely different. There's a reason for that. Like it's, it's not like, um, I'm not following all the rules and like the orchestra must sound like it's in the concert hall. But I, the orchestra in Ori sounds like what I think suits the game. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's what I, that's why I talk about all of these soundtracks, like, be, you know, being deserving of, of, um, of a win because you can't really take them out of the game and replace them with anything else. They, they all do their own thing and you can see the decisions behind them. It's, they're not just putting well-produced music on top of the game and calling mm -hmm. it a day every i feel like every time a piece of music plays in any of these games the reason for that music playing has been thought out properly and it's been thought out not from the point of view of a composer it's been thought out from the point of view from point of view of a player who's playing the game and that to me especially going forward into the next decade of gaming is going to is going to be what differentiates a good soundtrack and a great soundtrack um it's it's not enough to just supply good music like now you have to like think like how is this going to make the player feel when they play um and that is like that is why i get out of bed in the morning like yeah every, everyone talks about ori being the feels game but it's actually more than that it's not just about the cut, the emotional cutscenes. It's everything that builds into the emotional cutscenes, and your, like, your feeling when you're doing the escape. Like, you know, when you, when you did the escape from the watermill for the first time, it's like I handled the escape music a little bit different than I did in the first game. In the first game, the escape music's a little bit more tense, mm -hmm. but in the second game, I'm like, well, Ori's done this before. This is this is like not new to him. So, so actually, if you compare the escape music from the first game to the second, the second game. I feel, and it's being reflected by, I read all the comments. I know, I know they say don't read the comments, but I do. Um, but, but the music is slightly more confident than what it was in the first game. Now the mm -hmm. boss fights, on the other hand, the music is tense and crazy and over the top because Ori's never had to like fight a massive creature uh, face to face before. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's handled, that's handled a lot differently. Um, and we do ramp up the tension there. But like the, the, the point is, is that like, every single musical decision i've made and i think these other composers and their musical teams have made has been heavily heavily thought out and that is uh that is where game music is going and i think it's pretty cool because for the longest time it was just like it was just a battle to get well-produced music in a game uh but now i mean look at all the top soundtracks for triple a games this year They're, they all sound great like you can't you can't really argue that they're not well produced or the, you know they're not well mm -hmm. composed um but so then you're like looking elsewhere it's like well how did it make me feel during the game and so like the jury is gonna have to play significant chunks of the game all the games uh to, to you know to make a proper decision to like actually get a feel for how the music plays back in back in all of those games to get an idea of how it feels because um you know i can say for the 
for Ori 2. I mean, the whole game builds up to the ending. I'm not going to spoil it for you, obviously, but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you think it's intense now, just wait until you get to the end. Uh, like the last, let's say the last boss fight takes you 15 minutes. Um, I don't know how long it will take you. It might take you longer. It might take you less time, but let's just say it takes 15 minutes. There's, um, you know, there's a cutscene before, which is about five minutes long. And then there's the end game, which is uh, seven minutes long. So that's uh, five plus 15, 20. So like 27 minutes. That last 27 minutes um, is all continuous musically. And it's made up of uh, 10 different cues, I think, or close to 10. Um, and it's probably the single most uh like seg- it's the segment of music that i'm most proud of like in my career like i know we nailed the ending um and like musically like i'm i'm very proud of like how we got to there but i'm not i, I hope the jury gets there you know because it, take, it takes it takes a long time to get to the end of the game um but uh yeah it was um yeah it was uh pretty pretty cool to do that end sequence because it's cutscene then it's a multi-phase boss fight and each phase has its own unique music track. And then there's three cutscenes back to back for the ending, um, which, and everything seamless. And one of the cutscenes is interactive, which mm-hmm. also has its own implications for timing and pacing and all of that stuff. Um, you'll find most game composers um, who get really into like the implementation of the game. We, we, could, we know the games better than the players by far. Like we, we know it inside out. Like you, you can ask me anything about any level in Ori, and I can probably tell you everything about it. Um, and that's uh, that's that's the nature of the job now. And I feel like I feel like game music is in an exciting spot because a lot of composers are now thinking about the player experience and not just about supplying good music. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> no, fantastic. Um, just talking a little bit, uh, bringing it back a little bit. You mentioned about masking music as it changes with the sound of the game. Uh, yes. How much are you? How much are you, you know, communicating with the guys in sound design about, you know, getting these certain aspects to fit up just right? Or is it kind of you? Yeah, gonna... well, I mean, that's, uh, so, so for Ori 2, um, it, it depends on the game as well. And like how each team is set up very, very differently. Um, and uh, for, for Ori 2, we worked with a sound team um, who had a dedicated um, person handling ambiences and music tracks and how they played back ambiences being the the forest sounds and stuff like that um and he was the one responsible for setting all the music all the music playback but in terms of like coming to you know an agreement with sound i mean i i'd like to work with the sound anyway when i'm writing music so i'm already i'm already writing around the sound effects mm-hmm. um i think that's like an essential part of the job i also think it's why the music and sound and ori meshes as well as it does um in terms of like the, the collaboration i mean it's they're literally the whole team is like a skype message away and that's mm-hmm. if i need something or i need a question answered i can get the answer pretty quickly um but again because i'm writing around the sound effects um i'm basically doing a bunch of pre-production um that will save time down the road because i'm making decisions very early on in the process so that down the line, when like music and sound is blaring, um, I've I've made it less competitive because one of one of the I think one of the biggest issues we had um, in terms of like balancing the two things like hey we've got the boss fights, we need really big sound effects and we need really big music and that you know that does does, does that just doesn't work. Um, so I was like okay. 
well, let me do this with minimal percussion. And I was like, I, the energy needs to come elsewhere because when you bang things, it creates like a hard transient. And if you think, think of like every monster attack, it's always like doing like a slap sound. Now think about drums. They are the fundamentally the same, the same mechanic. And so if you have drum sounds doing the same thing as something that's trying to hit you, just it's just gonna like not work at all because you can. It's just gonna sound confusing to the ear. So I'm like, okay, we're gonna move, remove all of those kinds of instruments from the equation. But then I'm like, well, where does the energy come from? Because one of the easiest ways to add energy to music is add a bunch of drums doing crazy stuff. Um, it's it's you know it's it works. It, it just works. Um, but like I'm like now I have to do more with the other instruments to get the energy into the music. And more of the spider is is actually a great example of mm. like like it's a very very energetic track. Um, it's quite difficult for the musicians to play at that level of intensity because it's like six minutes long. Um, but getting that energy in something that doesn't have a heart attack when you when you have a violin bow, they're not banging against it. They're, it's it's a scrape. Mm. Or scrape is the wrong word, but like it's it's just not hard. Um, but when you do that quickly, you get the, you get there's so much energy in all of that movement that it transfers into the music and thus it transfers to the player. Um, so it's all about capturing energy, but in a way that didn't take away from the sound effects. You need to hear the sound effects because it telegraphs like what the what the spider is going to do, and the player needs to hear that mm -hmm. so they could, they can maybe prepare for the for the next attack. Obviously, they're looking at the animation as well. But I mean, you can get an idea just of how much I've just talked about one aspect of like a piece of music. And then there's like all of the other stuff that's in the spider track as well. And that's just for one boss fight in the game. Like this level of thought goes into every single piece of music in the game. Um, and the, you know, the talk between sound and music is it has to be constant. Um, otherwise you just end up with what can sound like a mess at the end of the game. And you don't want, you don't want it to be a mess. You want, you want music to have its moments and you want sound to have its moments. There's a, there, oh, you haven't got there yet, but there's a great scene. Um, you can talk about it if you want, if any, if it's any, no, I mean, this, this isn't really a spoiler. I mean, you've met, um, actually, yeah, yeah, you have. Um, so you've met Shriek, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And have you met Shriek in the desert yet? Uh, Where no. she like, comes from the background and comes to the foreground. I mean, we put the shot in the trailer, so feel free to. But okay, but there's like a sequence where you're basically playing hide and seek with mm -hmm. with Shriek, um, and you have to like kind of stealthily get through the environment, like from one point to another, um, and you've got a limited amount of time. There, like the music just goes way back um, because what makes the scene powerful for the player. You got this giant friggin' owl thing with with weird legs um, uh, stalking you, and I'm like, there's no piece of music that is going to be better than what the sound can do here because that's the dominant feature on the screen. And so I'm like, sound team, this is all you, pretty much. Like, I'll give you some like musical ambience, but like, you need to sell this scene, um, and and they did, um, and. Because your eyes are focused only on Shriek um, and you know, you're not doing a bunch of crazy platforming because your eyes are focused on Shriek and if you move, you're going you're gonna to get killed pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, hearing every single Shriek sound is much more valuable to the player than some tense piece of music. Um, now, conversely, the final boss fight when you fight Shriek, 
there's all this crazy stuff going on and it's like the big last hurrah but the the and there's so much movement happening but because this is a very still scene and music by definition usually has movement i'm like we need to take all the movement out and it's just literally some drones and like a pad or something uh, and what makes the scene interesting is like hearing every single footstep every single like neck movement the rustle of feathers every like vocalization that's what makes the that's what makes the the scene powerful um and that was a very easy decision i was like i mean to be frank i was like hey guys i mean there's a there's a ton of music in the game can i take a break you know it's uh um and uh, you know they were only too happy to like to, to take it up um because and uh yeah it's just it's just those kinds of decisions um you know we i was lucky in that me and the sound team saw the game in the same way um so there were never really any battles on how to like handle things it was more just about like can i get sound effects from you so i can like hear what does this creature sound like uh, what does the what does this boss sound like you know what does the spider sound like so i can get a feel for what frequency ranges are being used by the sound team and then i can work around those in the music um but i would say that the moon studios team all of the departments are talking to each other all the time if you you've played ori games now i think it's pretty hard to deny that there's a synergy between every single element of the game um, and that's what makes Ori feel the way it does is everything is working together in harmony. I think the individual parts are strong. I mean, obviously the art looks amazing. The animation is really high quality. The gameplay is pretty fun, all that stuff. So yeah, individually, like it all works, but like what, when they're all working in harmony um, and you have bash now, I mean, once you have bash in the game, I think playing Ori, like that's, that's when when you're combining the bash ability with the dash ability, I mean, you can just like zoom around the map in no time at all. And I don't think that ever gets old. Like, and it's, and when you, when all of that is working in harmony with the new visuals that are being thrown at you, a new piece of music, when you enter a new area, um, I think it's a tough game to put down. Um, well, clearly you put it down, but so it's really not that hard, <laughs> but like, uh, that, that's a, that's a, that's a little dig, but, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's um, all of the departments in at Moon Studios are talking to each other all of the time in order to create a better experience for the player. Mm. Like, that, and that's really all it comes down to. It's like we're we're not serving ourselves. Like as artists, we are trying to serve the player. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good quote. That should, yeah. that should be at the top of your top of your. Interview. That'll be in the Twitter so clip the when player, I put it out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about your inspiration into getting into not only games composition, but you obviously did a lot in sort of uh, short films and a bit of TV, I think, on the side yep. as well. Was it? Yeah. Um, yep. I read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Alan Silvestri was one of your main influences in getting into music. And most people would yep. know him for his work such on like Predator, Forrest Gump, even the more recently yep. people will know him for Avengers. Um, was he your main inspiration into, say, gaming composition or was there someone else who kind of overshone him in that regard? I wouldn't say, I, honestly, I wouldn't say there's a, a particular person who influenced me for games composition. I wanted to do music for games because it's the medium I know best. I've been playing games since I was four years old. That, I mean, that really is the simple answer. I didn't become a, aware of game music until Final Fantasy VII. So if you want an answer, that's probably where it began because like, that's the first time I became aware of the power of it. Um, in terms of other scores from like my early gaming life, uh, the original DSX, um by mm -hmm. alex brandon 
um, and the early LucasArts adventure games by Pete McConnell, um, like Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango, uh, and and actually the early Star Wars games. Um, you know, they've just released EA have just released Star Wars Squadrons, which is really a throwback to the the games that came out on floppy disk uh, back in 1992. Star Wars X Wing and Star Wars Tie Fighter. How old are you, by the way? You might not even have been alive. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you you you, <laughs> you you don't know about any of these. Now you're gonna have to look. Now you're gonna have to do even more research. I know. I, I am um, aware of X Wing Tie Fighter. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> not that but bad. Like, I mean, okay, but like these, uh, but yeah, I mean, these games came out on floppy disks and they had fully interactive scores. Mm. Now they were all done with MIDI, um, but they, like, they changed on the fly, like based on, you know, based on what was happening in the game. It's it's funny because I, I hear all the time, like, we've got to improve the implementation in game music. I'm like, no, no, the concepts have been around for literally decades. It's about the execution. Um, and uh, anyway, so, so, so like those were probably my early influences, but I wouldn't say I have a particular um, composer in games that that um, I you know I was crazy about. I I, like, I want to be like that person. I will say that I'm drawn to I'm drawn to melody because I think it's first of all it's a signature of my music, and second of all, um, I think there's less of it these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I find. I, I'm not ashamed to say I find most pop music forgettable. Um, but it's it's McDonald's. It's in one ear and out the other. It's good in the moment, um, but most of the stuff that's on the radio today we won't be listening to in two years, let alone ten years. Um, yet we'll still be listening to the Beatles and Michael Jackson in a hundred years, guaranteed, um, because melody is king and riffs and motifs and ideas like that are king. Um, so I'm generally drawn to the um to the composers who lead with melody first and i'm drawn to the composers and this is probably what i think you know final fantasy 7 is a, is a good benchmark you know it's one of the greatest scores of all time um it's packed with melody but here's the other thing it's not afraid to wear its heart on its sleeve mm-hmm. there's so many scores i think now that are a little bit apologetic um they're almost afraid to make like a big musical statement because they don't want to hold the player's hand or hold the viewer's hand. And I think that's a missed opportunity. I think actually people want that when they go see a film. I think when people want to see a film, they want the music to sweep them away and take them off their feet. And that's how I approach game music. And so my favorite era of film scoring is the 90s because there are a lot of those scores like that. If you Have you watched, you must have seen Braveheart. Of course, yeah, yeah. Right. That film, the music, if, if they submitted the music, like how it plays in the film in 2020, it wouldn't get approved mm. because it's some of it's really on the nose, like really on the nose. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm watching it. I'm like, they don't make movies like this anymore. But that's what I like about it, because like he's not afraid to like James Horner was not afraid to go all out like on the delivery of the emotion in that score. And yes, it is, you know, it is a bit, it can be a bit, you know, heading towards the saccharine and the cheesy sometimes, but, but that's actually what people want. Uh, They want to have something because that's what makes the film memorable because they committed to an idea and then they executed it to the, um, you know, to, to the maximum um but you can look at all the films like like that during that time period i mean et is just is et is actually mm. earlier but like that's kind of that's kind of like when it started you've seen et i don't want to I spoil have, yeah. it <laughs> right so the whole the whole film you don't need to worry film, about spoiling such an old right. movie at this stage <laughs> um uh the whole film builds up is is built up to the flying scene that is the release point of the entire movie 
the the whole film is pretty much centered around that point and you know they take everything out and you just hear the kids screaming and yelping and the theme plays and the theme plays loud and proud and they don't interrupt it and i, I think I, I i may have to check my answer on this but i think they recut that scene to john williams's music because i think steven spielberg wanted to make sure that you heard it in full i'm not 100 percent sure on that though um but i i heard I heard a rumor on the grapevine <laughs> that that was the case, but but the point is 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 really that like the music is allowed to play in full and everything just takes a step back and you're just left with this magnificent visual, uh, iconic visual and the music, and you're swept up in it. It's it's like the music is giving you permission to feel whatever you are feeling, um, and you know that's having an opportunity to score a game like Ori is you know. It's it's rare to get an opportunity like that where you where you can have you played the first game again. I'm, I'm yes, gonna keep yeah, asking I've about played the first game. Because, right, yeah. right. So the you know the ending of the first game, you know, it's it's pretty on the nose musically, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Like that's that's just my opinion. And it's like if you scored, there's there's a million ways you can write music for a scene, um, but I think you know I, I like the, the the direction to go is always to you know be committed to the feeling that you want the player to have when they're playing it's, I, i'm not thinking i need to make the player cry here i'm thinking i need the player to feel more connected to this scene so that they have uh, an easier way of feeling what they need mm -hmm. to feel and so my job with the music is actually not to you will be happy you will be sad <laughs> my job is to make you feel what ori is feeling mm -hmm. um and it, it's about taking a point of view um Wow, that question started at like, what are your influences? <laughs> and we ended up there. Um, the, so the, yeah, just to wrap it up, the, uh, the influences are really about melodists, uh, like people who use melody and people who, and, and composers who aren't afraid to make a commitment or a statement with their music. Mm -hmm. uh, just when you brought it up, actually. I told uh, you I was generous with, <laughs> with my answers. Um, you're, you actually brought up a very good point that actually kind of sprung on a, an, an added on question almost with regards to Ori and, you know, how it's a little on the nose near the end of the first game. But I suppose in a sense, Ori needs to be on the nose because it's making up because none of the characters speak in that game. So you're almost having mm -hmm. to tell two stories because, well, there is the text on the screen, but that's not really dialogue in the sense of the traditional yeah. sense. But you're almost having to tell the story of someone who can't speak, who can't, you know, uh, convey their emotions through that sense so the music has to make up for that in a sense as well which i think it does fantastically but as you say it probably warrants being a bit more on the nose in that sense yeah i mean if if i didn't feel it if i felt it was actually a great example um it's from the end of the end of the game i don't even need to spoil the scene um because it's just it can just show the power of music and like how it can change a scene mm. so in the penultimate cutscene of ori 2 um there's an interactive segment where you're just basically walking across the screen and stuff happens um <laughs> and uh originally i had orchestra and choir playing at the same time they're doing kind of the same thing and i'm watching it and i'm just like it's too much even for me it was too much hmm. um like it's easy i'm capable of dialing it back i'm like this is too much for the scene like now it feels like it's trying too hard so I was like, how can I fix this? And I was like, well, what if I just muted the entire orchestra for this segment and we just had the, the choir? The, the, uh, and I was like, well, let's, let's try that. 
um, because it's very easy to try. It's literally so. Is there a play. is there a like a cut out there of the choir and the orchestra? No, no. no there, there isn't. There isn't a cut of choir and orchestra. Like um, you know, I mean, I could put it, but there's certainly a recording of it. Like you know, a very expensive recording that just didn't make the final <laughs> cut. Um, but I'm glad we recorded it because it meant I could try stuff out. Like yeah, and, and stuff. This stuff, it's almost like the playing was so emotional and so good. I was like, man, this is like, it overpowers the scene. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we actually don't need to overpower the scene because the player needs to take in the visuals and what's happening. I was like, let's take the orchestra out. So we have the choir. Now, human voices, when they're singing together, it's a very intimate sound. You know, you live it. You live in Britain. It's, it's, you know, choirs are everywhere and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, Like when you hear them. And I was like, well, let's just only focus on that. And like having that by itself actually drew me in more. So by actually taking something away, it brought me closer um, and it didn't feel overpowering anymore. So like that was an example of just where something was on the nose too much. And then this, you know, it's still, it's still like telling, you know, giving, giving the player a sense of what to feel, but it's not, it's not sledgehammer um, mm-hmm. because that's what it was originally. At some point I might like throw it up on YouTube, like just a comparison before and after, um, you know, here's what, you know, here's what I did uh, and here's what it was before yeah. I like changed it. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and you don't expect such a significant change like that. I mean, literally removing 70 players from the equation, um, you don't expect a change to like have that much effect on the emotion of the music, but sometimes it can. Um, and this was very late in the day. I mean, this that was back in February this year. I mean, this was like you know a month before we shipped the game. Um, mm-hmm. Still making tweaks and changes to like how things feel. But I'm glad I made it. Um, so, uh, but you're right. You're right to mention that. Um, uh, or is the kind of game that gives music to the space to mm-hmm. do that because um, not every game needs it um, one of my favorite games from recent years is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice mm-hmm. there's actually not very much music in that game except when they do use it and it's very powerful when they do use it uh, because of all the but if you had music all the time during that game you wouldn't hear the voices that yeah. are on either side of the headphones and it would take away from that so actually the voices are most of the soundtrack Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another example of a game where the thought of every single music cue is so well thought out every all throughout the game. Um, so it's it's like every single game is different. You have to, as a composer, you have to approach it in a different way with a different mindset. Um, and ultimately, it's about what you know what's best for the player. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I want to move back, and it, it feels like a couple of questions ago at this stage, but it's okay. actually only one question. But when when I mentioned uh, Sylvester, I, I just wanted to ask, and this is on a very this might be the most bizarre question you've ever been asked, but uh, the um, You've obviously scored uh, the Mean Greens, uh, which is uh, a 2015 release game. I think it got re-released again this year on the PlayStation 4. Yeah, uh, it got re-released this year of the console. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I want to know, and because I was looking through Sylvester's scores, and obviously I saw Predator. Is there at the beginning of the main theme, the you know the marching bit at the beginning, is there a direct correlation between that and sort of the the piano sort of piece, uh, piano sort of theme of the Predator? in any way or is that me if there reading is, too much into it purely, if, if there is it's purely coincidence <laughs> I, could, so I can tell you with that game predator was the last thing on my mind i mean you've seen how ridiculous the game looks it's uh
but yeah there was no there was no real reference it was really that that sound of like the the low piano with mm. with drums is is kind of a staple of like old school action music and yeah. old school action music like Silvestri isn't the first to do it Jerry Goldsmith was doing it a lot um so uh, but yeah the piano and low drum is a classic is a classic action sound that that like recalls a certain era of film music and that's kind mm. of like what I was um looking to reference but yes not the predator but you, you you're in the right lines you still reference the right musical idea uh yeah. but it's just not the predator score um but yeah it's just it's 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 a musical device um that is that works almost every single time you'll still hear it in action scores even today mm-hmm. especially bond films yeah i actually because even when listening there's a i think deep freeze is one of the track names is it oh deep freeze deep freeze definitely references bond films yeah that, the that, yeah that, the string I, that segment I yeah mind, <laughs> that i don't mind saying yeah yeah but no uh, i thought even when i was writing down that question this is a complete not a reach but i'll ask it anyways um Let's talk a little bit about your uh, sort of your studies with regards to music. You obviously started in the Royal uh, Royal Academy of Music in London, then moved on to Japan for I think three years, was it? Yes. And then you were of, over in University of Southern California. So a very diverse yep. sort of career with regards to studies yep. in music. Can you maybe point out to one a key difference between all areas in which you've covered throughout your studies that maybe kind of spoke to you the most? Well, um, f- first of all, like my time in Japan, um, I think I think this might this is a correction I need to make on my Wikipedia page. I actually was teaching English in Japan. I was actually not studying oh, really? in Japan. Um, that I think on my Wikipedia page it says I went to study ethnic uh, ethnic instruments or music instruments from Asia or, so, or something like that. Um, and that's partially true, you know, because obviously I'm a musician. I'm fascinated by all that. But I didn't go to school there. I went to teach. Mm-hmm. I said pro- probably someone misinterpreted like <laughs> I was in a school and they thought uh, that I was, you know, studying there. But no, I taught English for, for three years in Japan because I, I graduated from the Royal Academy of Music. I'm like, great, I have all these skills and no one's going to hire me because I'm 22 and no one cares because uh, I haven't done anything. Um, and I didn't have any connections. And I was like, um first of all i need a job and second of all um i need to find out if i really want to do music for a career mm-hmm. um and it was like late night google searching and i was i was like you teach english in japan i was like oh that sounds fun <laughs> um and it's actually really well paid and um and it was actually really you know a very fun three years and even though and this is this is, it's a good question you've asked because like even though on the surface it might not appear that I did, you know, very much musically while I was out there. Mm-hmm. My attitude, how I handle myself, how I talk to other people, um, how I run my business is entirely based on my time and experience in Japan. It's obviously tweaked a little bit. You know, I've been in America for 10 years now, mm. um, 11 actually. Um, but my philosophy to life is based on my work experience in Japan, how they work with others. Here's the thing. Um, Japan is all about benefiting the group. How do you make a game? How do you make a film? You need a group of people 
you need a group of people with very specialized individual talents, but you need them all to come together. Literally, what was I just saying on the question about all the departments working together yeah. in uh, for Ori? Like, it is the same thing. Like, the, the, the philosophy in Japan is like, what can you do to benefit the group? And what can you do to not hurt the group in any way? Um, and that philosophy is, it applies to games. It applies to standing in front of an orchestra. I was teaching English to 40 high school students and high school students are annoying because everyone's <laughs> annoying when they're 15, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I got to make them, you know, I got to make them like me and they've got to be paying attention to what I say. How, how is that much different to standing in front of an orchestra who you've never met before and who don't know any of the music that they're about to play? Mm. Most people don't know this, by the way, but when orchestras perform music for soundtracks, they've never seen the music before. Um, they don't rehearse. They rehearse like on the day. Um, so if you take the Ori 2 soundtrack, most of the soundtrack is take three or four and they never saw it before. Like that's how good they are. Um, so I just thought I'd add that because it usually blows people's minds. Yeah. Um, but so, so that skill of like, you know, being able to stand in front of people who you don't know and be able to communicate to them incredibly clearly. Because here's the other thing about standing in front of an orchestra. Orchestras are expensive. So if you waste your words and you let's say you spend four minutes explaining something instead of two, well, that two minutes could have been used to record like the first phase of the boss track. Mm -hmm. Like just, just to put it into perspective. And if you're paying X amount of dollars for the, for the music recording, two minutes, like that's a big chunk of time because the musicians get paid on an hourly basis. So you've lost, um, you know, you've lost uh, a big chunk of your recording time. So, so my time in Japan, like where I was teaching English, I was like, I just got to remember, like I'm back in back in teaching in a school. Whenever I stand in front of an orchestra, I'm always so scared because the, you're literally standing in front of 70 people who know their instruments better than I ever will. Um, <laughs> they've been with them and they're like, well, who is this guy? Because they see a different compo uh, composer like every, you know, every week. I'm like, oh, who is this schmuck that we're playing for? I mean, they know me now because I've done a lot of recording, but like, yeah, especially the first time it's like, you know, they, they, they want to help you. They want you, they want to do their best for you, but they also want to know that you've got your, that you've got your stuff together. Um, so it's like, you've got to speak confidently, clearly. And what I will say is when I arrived in Japan, I was not very outgoing. Um, I was pretty, you know, I was the classic music nerd who kind of like stayed holed up at home and just practiced. Um, but Japan actually forced me to be a bit more outgoing because I'm standing in front of a class of 40 kids six mm -hmm. times a day. Um, and the skills I picked up there, like had a big effect on, you know, just how I approach my life now working in the entertainment industry. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not really like a direct musical thing. Um, but you know, every composer being a composer is, is about writing music, but also we're in the entertainment business mm -hmm. the business side like because otherwise you don't get hired like if you're not a nice person to work for you don't think about the team you don't think about the group people aren't going to hire you mm -hmm. um so like that's that's what i would say it's maybe not the answer you're expecting you might have been expecting some like more musically driven answer <laughs> but you, you asked me what had the most impact and uh, that's 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 the honest truth that that did have the most impact no, yeah, it's probably a good sense that uh, I don't know the answer I'll to everything a beforehand. Musical so. suffix, though. Living in Japan for three years, the culture of that country, mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna experience it through through the process of, of osmosis. Just by being in a country for three years, you're going to know more about Japanese music. 
whether it's uh, pop music or traditional traditional Japanese music. So just just by being in another country, I, I got to experience, first of all, Japan, but also the rest of Asia, because it's much cheaper to travel to the rest of Asia when you're already there. Um, but like imagine going there from Britain, you know, England to Japan, England to China, Hong Kong, whatever. It you know, gets expensive pretty fast. But going from Japan to China, it's like a much shorter flight. Um, so I was able to I was able to not just see Japan, but see a lot of Asia as well. Um, and if you go through my soundtracks, you will definitely hear a lot of Asian influence. It's it's subtle, but it's there. Um, and that's because you know I lived there for three years. Um, so that's that's you know that's that to me is a benefit. Like one, you know, I think one thing that not just composers, but literally anyone in any creative field, obviously you can't do it now, but when you can, <laughs> travel um, because expanding your horizons helps helps art so much yeah um let's fast forward a little bit to 2011 um i think the obvious question you think i'm going to ask is that you know you're obviously approached to the ori prototype uh, i think you mentioned before that it was uh, they heard your work on was it a student film and they kind of brought that to you and they wanted you to score they a segment had, they had my work on a student film uh, and yeah it was on a on a profile on mod db yeah mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm more interested, I think, was your first gaming, re- well, well, was your first score release in the gaming scene, was it in Momentum? Yes. Yeah, so how did that, how did that kind of opportunity come around? Uh, I was working on a mod, uh, literally, I can trace every single, like, career opportunity I've had, I can trace back to, like, that one profile on that one website. <laughs> um, so I was working on a mod, and um, one of the developers on that mod was like doing his own game and i was like and he was like it's this free running parkour game and i was like well sure. I, at that point i was like i'll do anything i don't really care um because you know i need to get experience um and he needed a composer and he liked my stuff and that was pretty that was pretty much it because in the mod scene there's you know there's a lot of composers but um and there's a lot of developers too there's a lot of games being made at the the mod scene level um and i was like yeah sure why not and it it turned up from being, it ended, you know, started being, you know, a one level thing and then it kind of turned into its own game. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think the release was hugely successful, um, but it didn't really matter. I proved to myself that I could ship a game um, and a complete soundtrack. Um, and, you know, people still listen to it, uh, which is cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, it really, um, when I started working in game music, I thrust myself fully into the mod scene. And I was just like, I just said yes to anything. I did all kinds of like tiny little pieces of music. I can't even remember like all the stuff that I did back then. It was really just in the interest of gaining experience and getting some contacts. And, you know, you only need one to work out. Um, And, and, you know, it can lead to all kinds of stuff. I mean, Ori led to Minecraft, which led to Halo. You know, it's a pretty, pretty good, you know, seven, eight year run. Um, But there were other projects that came from ModDB as well. Like I got Ark through... So Primal Carnage, which you might have been asking me about next, was my second game yeah. um, that shipped. Now, the animation team for Primal Carnage also did animations for the early version of Ark Survival Evolved. Oh, really? Okay. And the, and the team, I, I think this is how it went down, um, the, the, the Ark Survival Evolved team asked the Primal Carnage guys, do you know any composers? And of course, I've done the music <laughs> for Primal Carnage, which is also a dinosaur game. And... Um, and they were like, yeah, Gareth's pretty, you know, pretty, thankfully they said I was pretty good. And my, and then, and then, and then the ARC team had me pitch for their game and the, my pitch ended up being the main theme for the game. So it was obviously a pretty good pitch. Yeah. Um, but, um, literally it's version one as well. Like version one of my pitch is like the final main theme. Um, and you know, 
a good illustration of that is so from Primal Carnage, which started out like as a mod, a mod thing, became a fully fledged game, which led to Ark, which led to me ultimately recording with a 93 piece orchestra at Abbey Road Studios. So again, from a from a single profile, like it ended up to me like getting to something that most there's no composer in the world who doesn't want to record at Abbey Road Studios yeah. uh, with a massive orchestra. Um, and then Ark, obviously, you know, there's the base game, then there's all the DLC, and, you know, there might be some stuff coming fairly soon, like, you know, that hasn't been announced, <laughs> but, like, um, and Ark, actually, funnily enough, when I was hired on Halo, that was the score they referenced first, not Ori. Um, oh, really? My approach to because my approach to action music and mm. and percussion, like percussion is, uh, you know, percussion is a big part of um, of the Halo soundtracks, and yeah. especially arcs quite tribal as well. Um, and uh, yeah, the the music supervisor was he specifically referenced arc first. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's just interesting seeing where things lead. Um, so yeah, then then just another example was like the sound uh, the sound designer on Primal Carnage ended up working going to work for Insomniac Games. Mm -hmm. And then Insomniac Games working on a VR title and the sound designer was able to get me a chance to pitch on that. And I ended up winning that pitch and so I ended up scoring a VR title. Um, and so, so the, the point I was trying to make was just like, there's so many, a crazy amount of opportunities came from that like initial, um, uh, initial profile. Um, like there's a whole family tree of like all of my jobs but they all go back to like literally one one source point, which is that website where I had a profile. Mm -hmm. Actually, just after you mentioned it as well, I was kind of thinking this probably makes a lot of sense that the the guys obviously doing Halo would think first of all to Ark because they both kind of share that similarity of like, you've just been dropped into a world, you don't know what's around you and you kind of have to explore it. So I suppose there is that uh, that link there between those two titles. So captures that mystery, exactly. would you say? Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, let's just talk. So you you mentioned before you did a little bit of work for Minecraft as well on the expansion packs music, um, and we talked a little bit about you know you talked very briefly about pieces of uh, music that you picked up while in Japan and through Asian culture and all that. And obviously, I think it can't be it can be applied in the best possible scenario to the Chinese mythology pack for Minecraft. But you obviously also did uh, Egyptian, Greek, Norse, and a lot more in that sense as well. Yep. That, that actually sounds like, at least for a composer who's trying to, you know, expand their range and give a whole load of almost a library for people to pick from, sounds like the best possible way you could have done it because it's so many different styles, but in such a sort of a packaged sense, if, that's, if that makes any sense. How did yep. you go around, you know, exploring elements and finding unique sounds for each of those packs? I mean, for, for each of them, it's just a case of doing the research, but it's, it's, it's the fine balance because what they didn't want is like, a perfect recreation of Egyptian music from that era because that's not commercially accessible. They wanted uh, they wanted a version of that music that is accessible to a large player base, and you know I, I Hollywoodized it up um, for 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 all of them. Um, so it's just about finding the instruments that are you know re authentic, um, which is obviously the hardest for the Greek one because it's the oldest and there aren't just aren't that many Greek instruments. Mm. Um, uh, to choose from whereas china uh, the, the china has a huge like rich array of instruments to choose from but um the information we live in the age of the internet and the information is not hard to find and I've, and naturally for the chinese one I, I hired a specialist on her instrument um, for the uh, the chinese violin the arhu and um 
yeah, I mean, she basically kind of guided me like for the things that I can do, things that I can't do, things that are idiomatic, things that are not idiomatic. Um, and uh, yeah, um, you, you, you phrase it very well because it was like, it was a great way to gain experience of doing a lot of music in a relatively short period of time. I mean, those albums, which basically produced in three months for each, for each one of the mythologies, like from composing to final recording, compare that with Ori, which kind of took place over three years. Um, so uh, very, very different timeline. Um, so it got me into like, first of all, like delivering things professionally quickly. Um, second of all, it's just a lot of music. So writing quickly. Mm -hmm. um, third of all, having to do the research on making sure that it sounds right, like so getting into the habit of doing that. Um, so by the time I got to Egyptian, which was the last one, I was like, oh, it's a piece of cake, right? We're doing Egypt now. Uh, whereas the first one was like, you know, it, was, it felt like a lot of work, but uh, no, I, I'm really grateful that I like got the chance to work on to work on those because it's, it's a body of work that is, as you said, incredibly varied. Um, and, uh, you know, one day, one day maybe the, uh, the makers of Assassin's Creed will, will notice it and I can like <laughs> go and go and go and write a score for whatever playground they 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 go to next but they are well served by their current composers so i've made no secret of the fact that i would love to score an assassin's creed game one day uh, but you know it's uh as i said it's they're, they're definitely set for their composing um for, for a while so mm -hmm. um you know i've got ori so i can't really complain <laughs> um you're probably not gonna need to correct my pronunciation of uh the two gentlemen who I'm about to mention here, their surnames. I, I think out of the three composers for Halo Infinite, you probably have the easiest name to pronounce. So <laughs> uh, when talking in an interview to Halo Waypoint, you actually talked about when you were working alongside uh, Joel Korlitz and Curtis uh, yeah. Schwitzer, I believe that's how you say his surname? Schweitzer, I think. Schweitzer, yep. okay. Um, yep. You talked a little bit about how all three of you have your own like musical vocabularies and your background that makes it fundamentally different to how you all approach music. Could you maybe just give us a little insight into how you go about finding the sound of a game? Because obviously it varies depending on genre. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it really depends on the project. Um, so... When you, when you start a project, obviously everything's a blank canvas. Um, although on Halo, it wasn't because there's, you know, how many game, how many Halo games have there been now? Um, but on Halo, there's, um, we, you know, the, the three of us report to, uh, report to a music supervisor um, who, because, you know, when, you, when you're three composers, you kind of want to make sure you're doing, you know, if you're doing the, um, you're all swimming in the same direction. That's where a music supervisor comes in. Um, so we we get guidance from music supervisor and and three four three. Um, but on Ori, you know, I'm calling the shots. It's uh, you know, right you know, right to right down to the very very granular granular stuff. But when you're starting, um, again, it it always comes back to the you know the game itself. It's like the the gameplay. You're like looking at the gameplay and. What does it need, and how do we want the player to feel? Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, that conversation is a consistent conversation on every single game I work on, whether it's Halo, Ori, Darksiders, Minecraft, doesn't matter. How do you want the player to feel when they're playing the game? And I think, I think that conversation doesn't happen on other games all the time. Like I, I feel like I can tell the games which did have that conversation and which didn't. They're just like, we need some music and let's get it in. Um, no, it's a lot more than that. Um, 
know, there's a common theme in the, in this in this interview where it's like, what does the player want to experience? Because I think that that is the the fundamental fundamentally most important thing when when writing game music. And when you have answered that question at least a little bit, that's when you start talking about instruments, scales, harmony, melody, and stuff. Because all of those things, if you if you're musically literate, I don't mean like in terms of academic. It just means if you have experience writing music, you know, you kind of know what devices you can use to at least start heading towards that direction. Um, but hopefully you don't use too many of them because then you're just gonna write something that you've done before. You obviously wanna do something, you see maybe take a little bit of something you've done before to give you a starting point. This is how I work, like everyone works differently. But like, you know, if, if, if there's a scene in Halo or a scene in Ori or whatever that needs a certain feel, I'm gonna to go to what I know first. I'm like, okay, what can I do that's new and interesting that's still appropriate in this world based on the visuals that I've seen uh, and based on what the gameplay is, is going to be. Um, but it, but it really all does stem from like that initial conversation about how do we want the player to feel, because what's the point in writing anything if you don't know what you want the player to experience when you're playing it? You're just going to throw it out. Um, the one thing I do try to do fairly early on um, is if we're using melodic themes, that's something you want to be able to draw upon because it, it removes another equation from the from the blank canvas. If you have because you can write a melody without knowing what the gameplay is. Um, and, and then it can be adapted to feel, to, the melody can be adapted to have the right feel for that moment in the gameplay. I mean, look at how many times I've reworked the Ori melody across the, the, the main menu theme across the two games. It's a lot because it's flexible and it's malleable. Um, if it's a strong melody, it should be malleable across, um, across multiple, you know, across multiple genres and styles um uh but so yeah that's something that can be done a little bit earlier on but then in terms of the rest of it it's kind of informed by you know what we want the player to feel mm -hmm. um just out of interest when you you obviously mentioned you were playing games since the age of four was halo on your radar constantly was it one of your favorite titles or no, I, I mean, it's, you know, I saw, I, I like the game, but I, I'm just bad at shooters. Uh, I'm not anymore. I was bad at shooters when I was young. Um, so, you know, I, I got into shooters a little bit, a bit, a little bit later. No, I was playing real-time strategy and, uh, and single-player, you know, adventure games of the LucasArts kinds where you, you have to solve silly puzzles and stuff like that. Um, um, but yeah, real, my, my, my jam was, was Warcraft and not World of Warcraft. Again, the single player games, yeah. uh, if I was doing multiplayer, it would have been with my dad and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I did, you know, I, I, I did play my fair share of Call of Duty or Medal of Honor, um, but Halo, I got into later. Um, it's actually kind of fun revisiting Halo now because they've, you know, they basically remastered all of the games and, yeah. Master Chief collection, which is a pretty impressive collection now. And the fact that you can get it as part of your Game Pass subscription, I don't want to sound like a Game Pass salesman, but it's just <laughs> like, you know, it, well, Microsoft don't need any help selling Game Pass. No, they don't. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous deal just for that, for that block of games alone. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's been, kind of been fun because obviously, you know, when I was contracted to do Infinite, I was like, why? time to time to dive back in <laughs> um uh and and get familiar you have to get familiar with the you know i was talking about being musically literate you have to be familiar with the language mm -hmm. of whatever you're working on if, especially if there's you know existing 
language. Um, I'm talking about musical language. Um, you know, Ori though, I created it. Like it's my musical language. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to do every Ori game. Uh, at least I don't think so. Um, you know, if if there's, you know, I, I can't say what will come to the future. You know, nothing's planned. But let's say that we get to Ori 10. I think I'm going to be done by then. You know, it's like so. <laughs> so someone else will have to take the musical language and uh, and you know and develop it or take it somewhere else. And that'd be pretty pretty cool to pretty cool to hear. Um, you know, John Williams has done nine Star Wars films. I think yeah. he's done enough. You know, <laughs> let's. It's, yeah, I think even I think probably he would be excited to see where someone else is going to take it because it's something that he wouldn't have thought of. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, one of my favorite things. Sorry, this is a slight tangent, but I think it's a good thing to to talk about. Um, it's all the covers that appear of game soundtracks on YouTube, like mm -hmm. the amount of musicians doing. You know, I never thought there would be a metal cover of Ori. <laughs> like, is there actually? Uh, Oh yeah, and it's actually good. Um, yeah, it's it's actually really really good. Like he caught the spirit of the song in the arrangement, and that's that's really what a good cover should do. The instrument shouldn't matter. It's can you capture the spirit of the song? Um, yeah, it's a metal cover of uh, Shriek and Ori, which is the final boss fight track from. And it's a six minute cover, like significant amount of work. Yeah. You obviously transcribed it by ear. Like that stuff is kind of cool. Like I think, um, I think. You know, I'll continue, you know, working on, let's just say Ori, as long as I have something to say. And as long as, you know, that's why I was really happy to get the chance to do Ori 2, because I was like, I, I didn't feel done with it at, at Ori 1. Uh, and in Ori 2, I kind of left, I left everything out there. And, uh, you, know, you know, I don't know, again, I don't know what's going to happen down the line. Uh, but if, you know, mm -hmm. if the story's there and... Uh, um you know it could be 20 it could it could be 2030 or 2040 or whatever um but you know if the story's there and you know maybe i have still have something to say then i'd still work on it but if i if i don't feel like i have anything to say or anything to add then you know maybe someone else will and that will be that would be very very interesting um uh, to hear another composer's you know take take on the on the world um because you know they'll, they'll do their own spin on it um but uh, yeah, like, you know, creating, creating that language was, um, you know, it, it, it took a long time. It, take, it takes a long time to, to figure out like what a game needs, you know, when, when, you're, starting, when you're starting out with that blank canvas. Mm -hmm. Just out of interest as well, uh, when you were talking about uh, jumping into the Halo games to kind of get that feel for them, did you go chronologically starting with Reach or did you start in order of yes. release? No, I paid attention. I started. I, it's, it's the true chronological order uh, Wait, so in, terms you, the, in, in terms of the canon. Where do you, where do you put Halo Three ODST then? Because obviously that takes place in between a bit of two, and then it kind of overlaps into three near the end. Um, I put it between. I put it between Halo Two and Three. Yeah, that's. A, I think that's a good shout. In fairness, so you passed on flying colors in that one. Um, um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a whole bunch of theory online about like where to, where to play things. Um, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I I think I think someone had made a thread on one of the online gaming forums, uh, you know, and you know what order should you play the Halo games in? And uh, I I think I just followed that. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I get lost in doing too much research myself, and I was like, I need to actually just play them. Um, and so, if I didn't, if I hadn't found the answer, though, I'd have just played them in the order that they, that they were released. Um, yeah. Which obviously is very different, but it can can give you a different perspective on things. Uh, but no, I played them. I played them based on that thread order, and I was like, that's a pretty good guide. So. 
Yeah, because I, I would actually consider myself quite a big fan of the Halo games. But even when I go online, I saw someone had broken down, you know, which missions in Halo 3 ODST take place before uh, and right. during Halo 2. And it's just like, how are you thinking of this up? Like, obviously, cause, right. yeah, because there's a whole thing in ODST where it's like six months after, uh, six hours after dropper, because it takes place, I think, all in an entire day or something is the whole uh, yeah. whole gimmick of it. But anyways, that's uh, going off on a tangent again. Um talking um we're kind of sticking with halo but more talking about uh, general uh, general games uh, with regards to scoring and um when talking about so uh, you, you mentioned before that there's a, a moment within a game that you know everyone will remember and the score has to obviously you know accompany that and make it memorable and you mentioned that 200 minutes of music is never going to be memorable because there's just so much content to you know to to look at and in regards to halo there's sort of you know i think two ones that always uh, stick out to me is uh, in the first Halo game, when you come out of the Forerunner tunnel, the music sort of blares and it lets everything else is silent. And then there's also yeah. at the end of Halo 3, when, you know, jumping onto the, the Ford onto Dawn and, you know, he sees uh, the arc blowing up behind Master Chief and he's looking at Cortana. And that's obviously something that's ingrained into every player's mind. How, the question is, how do you sort of know when that moment's coming up? Does, is it something yeah. that's conveyed to you by the writers or is it just sort of natural? You got to feel it. You got to play the game and figure it out. Like it's, uh, I mean, you kind of, you kind of know early on going in, like what the, I think every game has these kind of pillars that they kind of build around, and you know you want those moments to like really hit. So you think about that. But the re, so the reason those moments hit is not because obviously you have to execute them like at the moment that they hit, but it's actually what happens before. And what happens after is what makes the pillar as powerful as it is. Um, so you've got to think about how, how are you going to build up to make that moment effective? You talked mm -hmm. about ET earlier, everything built like you can't just play that big music cue without like all of the build up with the story and the music and the foreshadowing that happens before all of that. Um, and it's the same with, 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 the iconic moments in games, the things that we all remember, it's about the pacing around them. It's not necessarily just the moment itself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's um, you know, if it, everyone, everyone always talks about, you know, how the water chase in Ori made them feel because it was the, you know, it's the, it's the you know, you, you're escaping and rushing up. But to me, that is just the high point of the symphony mm -hmm. um, because that actually starts the moment you enter the tree at the very bottom and you've got all of those little rooms and you can constantly work yourself up, but we haven't actually reached the escape sequence yet. Like right? the, the pacing is slow, but then you get bash halfway up the tree. So you've got a new ability and now things become a bit more exciting. You're kind of zipping around the map. And then, and then finally you get to the chase sequence and it's like, Oh my God, this is crazy. So now you're like, you're up to like 10 on the intensity level. You complete the chase sequence. You think you're done. Uh, because you know there's a relief point, but it's like no, not yet. You're not done because then we introduce Kuro, the you know the antagonist, and then you have a cutscene, and then only then are you truly done. And I was like, okay, well, my thinking behind that, I was like, we need, or he's still in danger, obviously, but he's just freed the water of the forest, and everything's like super green now, and it's safe to swim in the water. And I was like, I don't care how much danger is in this scene. Or he's going to be relaxed now, like, and this player's state of mind is going to be relaxed, and so the music is really relaxing, like, literally thirty seconds after Ori's just been thrown off a cliff um, and and saved by Gumo, 
Uh, but I'm like, this is what the player is feeling now. They, they are feeling relief that they're okay and the music needs to be relieving. But the relief afterwards heightens the moment that just came before because of the contrast. And then the, moment, the, the, the high point with the chase and the cutscene at the top was all built up to gradually as you're ascending the Ginzo tree doing all of the different puzzle rooms. So all of these moments, whether it's Halo, whether it's Ori, whether it's Hellblade, um, you're thinking not just about the moment themselves, but the pacing around them. And we know the pillars, but where the real work happens is like the building into the pillars. That's where the back and forth is crazy. Like you've got it, you've got, you cannot do it in isolation. Like you've got to talk all the time with the departments. Like just, to, you know, just some uh, quick example is like, sometimes I ask like, hey, can I get like a couple more seconds before the chase actually starts? Which for the animation team means extending like the light burst, like where, like because the tree starts glowing and then um, and then it like, you know, it kind of explodes. Mm -hmm. um, and then the chase, the chase starts. I was like, hey, can I get a couple more seconds here? Because it's going to allow me to build the music a little bit more. And the animation team's like, oh my God, we've got to do that. <laughs> we've got to tweak the animation. But like Gareth says it's going to work. And then of course it did. Um, and then it's it's there's literally thousands thousands of little decisions like that that help improve the pacing that make the moment as effective as it as it as it is so the reason why you don't have so many of them especially in open world games is because open world games are systems based rather than like scripted moments the best open world games balance the systems with like these scripted fancy like impressive moments that really connect with the player uh, but if it's purely systems based man your systems are better be good like because that's uh you know i think there's something to be said for like the player can create their own moments and that is true that also can be very special but sometimes especially when it comes to the narrative the player needs their hand to be held and to hold the hand of the player you've got to you've got to think about all of that scripting stuff so whenever i think of these moments in games like they're they're you know, when you, like I said, when you play a game for, you know, 50 hours and there's a 200 minute score, you're not going to remember all of it. No one remembers all of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, but they're, they're always going to remember the first time they heard dun, 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 when you fly over Isengard and see all the orcs. Uh, you're going to remember that every time because like everything else gets out the way. There's no sound effects. You're just seeing a giant like hellscape uh, with a bunch of orcs. And it's like, there's nothing else to do but make a musical statement. Um, and so you remember that moment because they've thought about what, they've thought about what they want the most important thing to, to be. And Lord of the Rings has so many iconic moments and there's all the bits in between, but those iconic moments are built up to so perfectly um and and paced so well and that's what you you know th that's when you go and see a film play a game especially like these epic films and these epic games you 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 just want to have you want to give the player or the viewer something that they're going to remember forever um and how many moments from lord of the rings will you remember forever there are so so many how many moments from halo will we remember forever how many moments from ori there are a lot of moments in Ori that I think people will remember forever. And that's like, that that's really why I get out of bed in the morning. Like, I yes, I want the game to be fun for the whole time, but I want to give you an experience that will shake you to your core 
um, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, whether it's an epic boss fight or an emotional scene or both um, that you'll remember for a long time. And there's nothing worse than having sat through a three hour epic film I don't mind putting this on record. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the Marvel movies because I know that what I'm watching, it's expensive and it looks good and it's spectacular, but I can't, I can't remember any of it. Mm. Uh, and that's just me. Uh, and, you know, I'm paying attention, but I can't really remember that much of it, um, even though it's spectacular. Um, and, uh, you know, there's that happens in games too. Um, so, And again, you know, I talked about like, the difference between good games and great games, you know, on a musical level, but I think also on a much larger scale when it comes to, to games, you can make a good game with good systems, but actually what's going to take it from good to great is like, what's that moment that players are never going to forget. Um, one of my favorite moments in film of the last decade is when Miles jumps off the roof in into the Spider-Verse. I mean, everyone, hmm. everyone recalls that scene because it's just like, he, yes, he's, he's, he's realized who he is. Uh, you know, it's a moment that like the whole, the whole uh, movie switches around. One of my other favorite moments from film in the last 10 years, have you seen Dunkirk? I have, yeah. Right, the whole film centers around the boats. It's literally a shot of some boats. <laughs> that, is, that is the most important shot in the entire movie. And everything, everything like turns around, um, like the camera gradually turns uh, and you see the person's face like that's that's like the beginning of the moment and then that, that's like okay we're about to have the release point and then you finally see the boats and for the briefest of moments you understand what it might have been like for a soldier seeing his countrymen come over the come over the horizon to come and rescue them finally like you have a moment like where you believe you might actually make it because the whole movie and a lot of people, a lot of people don't like the movie because it's it's hyper real. And I'm like, that's the point of the movie. They wanted to make you feel like a soldier in that movie. So when the boats come over the horizon, you feel the relief that they feel. Um, and that's that's a moment I'll never forget. Like, and that's that's what I want when I go to see a film or play a game or watch a TV show. Mm-hmm. There's two, two things I kind of want to pick up on that, and I I know I, I've taken a lot of your time already and i have two more questions i've got, after I've this. got 15 minutes so okay yeah, perfect I, I, I definitely have to go at the top of the at the top of the hour perfect i'll um i'll run through very quickly uh, uh one of the things i i noticed when you're talking about the marvel movies there's a really good video out there that talks about um oh i know the, i know the one you're going to talk about yeah the, the one about yeah. the reoccurring themes of characters and all that is that accurate in your terms with regards to I think i again i haven't watched all of the marvel movies because mm-hmm. you know there's so many of them <laughs> um but, but what I did, you know, what I did say is, you know, when it, it's, I think, I think the music for the Marvel movies is fine. Um, so, it, you know, it, it does the job. Um, but uh, to, to, to create the moments, it, whether it's a Marvel movie or a horror film or a video game, it's just, it's another example of one of those things where you can't create in a vacuum. You have to be in communication with all of the other departments. And I think what can sometimes happen on a really, really, really massive project, whether it's a film or a game, the the cross the cross talk between departments doesn't happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's less opportunity to create those like magic moments that we're all looking for. They still happen, even on, even on the biggest projects. Uh, I mean, Christopher Nolan's like a master of it. Like, you know, there's always, there's, a, there's always a crazy moment in every Christopher Nolan movie, um, not just visually, but in terms of music as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he made a docking sequence interesting. 
-hmm. Like, you know, how can a docking sequence be interesting? But it is. Um, and I, I'm actually not a huge fan of Interstellar as a movie, but I will remember the I will remember the docking scene for the rest of my life because it was pretty good. Um, and uh, it was skillfully shot and music's good and all of that. Um, it's funny because even in you know movies that I don't enjoy, there's there's you can still like see where the, what they were going for, like with the moment that they're trying to hit. Um, and it's the same in games. Like even like maybe you know a seven out of ten game, if it has a moment like or two that like gives me something I can remember forever, I actually value it more than something that's just well made but flat throughout. I want peaks and valleys in my entertainment experience. I think everyone does. Like if it's flat and good, it's actually not going to feel as good by the end of it because you you didn't have those you know those highs and highs and lows. Um, it's it's really just all about tension and release to be honest. Like that's that's the entertainment industry in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose this final question then uh, ties it all up. We talked at the beginning about which composers and elements of co composition inspired you the most. And obviously, yeah. I think your work now, uh, while you still have a long way to go, has inspired so many composers who are thinking of getting into the industry. If we were to look maybe uh, 50, 100 years down the line uh, when you're, I, well, we'll say, and I will say you're probably finished composition in hundred years time. I think it's a safe bet. Uh, well, unless I downloaded my brain, Elon Musk <laughs> style, right? Yeah. Um, how would you, how would you like not only your work, but you as a composer to be remembered? Um, I mean, I've hinted at this throughout the call. Um, it's, it's less about my music. It's about how it enhanced the experience it was attached to. Like mm -hmm. that's, um that is that is the thing i value most if we're going to talk on a musical level uh i want to be remembered for the melodies that's it uh, i don't care about any of the rest of it whether it's orchestra um and i think i think i probably already ticked that box um so um between ori and arc um you know i i'm not being modest here but those are two pretty strong strong melodies um so um but you know, I want to write more of them. Um, but but no, the the thing the the thing I would yeah most be wanted want to be remembered for, whether it's film, game, or TV, is just the the synergy between the music and whatever I work on, because that is the thing I spend a ton of time on, um, and uh, it it's it it's just write, writing music for picture is so much more than just supplying you know supplying you know, a, a nice, like, nicely recorded product. There's, there's so much, there's so much thought that goes into it. You know, I've already, just, I've just talked about Lord of the Rings. Howard Shaw annotated the entire trilogy with like, you know, he's famous for like having done his research on like the, on the books. Like he read them inside out and he'd, he'd like already mapped out like themes for his characters. And I think Peter Jackson was like, well, how can I not give this guy the job when he's done this much <laughs> research, you know? And he, you know, he delivered the, you know, one of the greatest, certainly one of the greatest trilogy scores of all time. You know, it's mm -hmm. up there with, with Star Wars and, and the Harry Potter scores and, you know, he's in like, it's in that level. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it's because he, can you imagine any other music in Lord of the Rings? No, uh, it's 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 impossible. It's, and and if you and it's funny because Lord of the Rings probably gets referenced a lot by like other fantasy games. Yeah, we want it to sound like that. <laughs> and the thing is, it never will. It'll just sound like second rate. What they really want um, is that they don't want it to sound like Lord of the Rings. What they really want is they want their own fantasy game to have its own identity because Lord of the Rings. You, you can listen to five seconds of that soundtrack and you know it's Lord of the Rings. 
like and and that that's another sign of a great soundtrack if you can listen to a handful of seconds of it you can be like yep i know what that is um and yeah that's and that's a result not just of a composer who's who's skilled with you know writing music but sort of a composer like understanding a hundred percent exactly what that game film tv show needs and so yeah that's the that's the thing i'd want to be remembered for perfect gareth it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we'll have to talk again sometime in the future but thank you yep. so much for your time no worries. Mm-hmm.